If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Health Care for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 128 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. I started this podcast as a way to explore ways to well-being and to improve the dialogue about a more integrative approach to care. Real collaboration and better communication combined with education are the keys to improving health outcomes and the experience for everyone involved. This conversation you're about to hear is another in the birth, newborn, and maternal care series that we're doing this year. And I highly recommend if you haven't heard the episode with Jen Bice a couple episodes back about education and preparing for birth. That's a good one to start with. Today I'll be speaking with a longtime member of my network of providers, uh, my longtime friend and colleague and midwife, uh, Chris McCloskey, about her career, the benefits of having a midwife, not just for birth, but for the entire pregnancy and for postpartum care. She also shares with us the keys to preparing your body for pregnancy and birth, as well as her reasons for moving over the past couple of years solely to home births. If you'd like to watch us have this chat in its entirety, you can click on the link in the show notes or head over to Highway to Health channel on YouTube. Please enjoy my conversation with Chris McCloskey. Why do people tend to, you know, contact you? What are they, what, what, what are they looking for as far as a, a midwife assisted birth versus a traditional hospital birth? So, um, I, I would say, you know, different people come to midwifery from various sources. Some people come out with a recommendation from friend or family. Some people come, um, through something that they've read or that they've seen. And then they just start, you know, doing some internet search. And um, other people might come through some professional connections, like a childbirth educator or a massage therapist or, you know, uh, pelvic floor, physical therapist. So, um, or another midwife, if one midwife's busy and, uh, you know, they'll do some recommendations. So I think um, the majority of people who are coming to question a midwife with regards to what um, her care or their care would be um, is somebody who's really interested in a more natural approach to pregnancy and labor and birth. Somebody who believes that they're going to have more autonomy Mm. uh, during the process. 
Um, this might not be something that they would say right up front yeah. because it might be something that they're beginning to explore. Because I think a lot of people, once they start reading about midwives, they're like, hmm, that sounds a little bit more in line with the way I'm taking care of myself, the way I live my life, yeah. um, a more holistic approach. Now, of course, there are a variety of um, midwives, right. and there's a variety of ways of practicing. But um, I would say the majority of people who are looking for a midwife, midwife are looking for somebody who's really going to listen to them, who's going to appreciate and support their need to really participate in the whole process mm -hmm. and not be dictated to. Um somebody who's going to um, consider alternative or complementary therapies uh, instead of something very straightforward and more medicalized. And um, I think somebody who's just going to give them more time. So did you, did you have uh, midwife assisted uh, delivery with your boys? I did. I was really, I'm one of those people who had no idea what a midwife was when I first got pregnant. So my um, son, Spencer, just turned 34 on Sunday. And um, I was, at the time, I most of my friends and my identity was still really rooted in theater. I was an actor. And um, so I had one of my really dearest friends and past roommates, she and I had done regional theater together. And when I let her know that I was pregnant, she said, oh, you should talk to my mom. My mom is a childbirth educator and she really knows a lot about birth. And so I gave her mom a call. She actually was like the third person who found out I was pregnant after my husband and my hmm. friend. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And she really... Um, became an amazing mentor for me and uh, introduced me to a world uh, where people were um, responsibly collecting, like gathering information about pregnancy and birth. Okay. She recommended that I look into midwifery instead of just that, what most of the people I knew who got pregnant would go directly to an OB and um, she recommended some good practices in New York City. And I found a great midwifery practice that was a private practice of three or four. I think there were four midwives at the time. And they were delivering at St. Vincent's Hospital downtown in the West Village. Um, I was living in Brooklyn, but it wasn't a big deal to go to the village and go for visits, et cetera. And then she also introduced me to this wonderful childbirth educator in Brooklyn. And it just opened this whole world for me. Yeah. And um, one of the things that was really wonderful about that whole experience was I was really encouraged to do a lot of reading. And, um, you know, who knew that there were all these books about natural childbirth and taking responsibility for your pregnancy and, you know, thinking about a variety of ways of giving birth and I really, really got turned on by some books by this wonderful French doctor, Michelle O'Daunt, who had, who had opened with a bunch of midwives in France in the mid-70s, mm -hmm. a, a birth center. And he wrote a lot about his observation 
of women laboring and birthing. And it was so different than what you would expect, what you learned uh, most people either from their friends' experiences or what you saw in movies and on television. Hmm. The water breaks, the woman screams, everybody rushes into the room, push, 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 and then you have a baby. You know, there's no, there's no detail in there at all about the length of a first labor. (laughs) None of that. You just get these, you have these images of how people give birth. So um, I have to say I had a really wonderful uh, first time experience. I went into labor. I gave birth within 12 hours, which was fairly, really straightforward, a little quickly for a first birth. I didn't realize it at the time until I got more involved in the birth field. Um, and then from there, I just started, I just, I just got so turned on by the whole idea of the birth world. And, and I started exploring different roles that I could fill in that world. So I, you know, I did a lot of things I became, um, a public, um, uh, consumer advocate for the Childbirth Education Association of Metropolitan mm. New York. That's where the childbirth educators I learned from, that was their organization. I started t- teaching prenatal and postpartum exercise class because I came from a background of theater and dance. Yep. So I had, I already had a lot of, um, background in movement. I started, um, exploring um, breastfeeding support, not becoming a, a lactation consultant because that wasn't quite where I wanted to go. But I did do a lot of breastfeeding support for friends once I went through my initial experience. Mm-hmm. And then eventually with two other people that I met in the birth world, I started my own uh, doula service and I had my own doula practice for about 12 years. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really just jumped right into it. Yeah. And then um, I did a lot of post early on. I did a lot of postpartum doula work because I had two young kids at home and I could control the amount of time that I was spending away from the kids. Yeah. So it wasn't the same as being on call for labors because that was a, that was very different. That would look very different yes. in, in my life. And at the time, um, my former husband uh, was involved in the film business. So he often would be getting up at like four in the morning and be gone all day on shoots. So I really couldn't afford to also get up at four in the morning and be gone all day for birth. So um, a a little bit down the road, I realized maybe I was heading towards midwifery. And I had a couple of um, aha moments uh, one at this really wonderful conference in 1992 in downtown Manhattan that was co-sponsored by our group and MANA, which is the Midwives Alliance in North America. And there were all these amazing speakers. And um, there was a moment when I was sitting in one of the workshops and I thought, midwifery, maybe that's where I'm heading. <laughs> and then it took me another few years to figure out, like organize myself and figure out my schedule with my young kids and get back to school and do all the science prereqs. Cause of course, when I was at university, I was a theater, I was in a, you yeah, know, yeah. A, a honors BFA program for acting. So didn't have a lot of science prereqs 
taken care of. So I had to go back for those. But it's sort of nice, I think, sometimes, too, to, to have come from a different background. I mean, I, I, was, I, I was the same, you know, I was an English major yeah. writing yeah. kind of programs and then and, the, and a musician. And I don't know, there's something there's something about that, that kind of field. I, I feel like we we had to learn how to listen in, in a different kind of way. Some of it was like, you know, just being in that very attentive space with somebody and being almost hyper present in a way that you yeah. know, most people aren't in their work. Yeah. Um, so that, I, I think it was say, good training for us. I, I would say definitely. I mean, there is that, you know, as an actor, all the work that we did exactly be present in the moment, react to what's going on right now. Be don't be don't be so in your head. Stay in your body. Yeah. You know, and 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 react to the information that you're getting right there in the moment. So so there's nothing more dramatic than labor and birth, you know, <laughs> That's for sure. when you think about it. And um, it allows you also, like if you ever did any improv, which I'm sure you did as a musician, you have to work with what you're getting. Yeah. You can't, it's not, there's nothing scripted about what's happening. So you have to learn to be really flexible. And I think that is definitely part of the skill set of a good midwife. Yeah, I, I actually, I didn't, I mean, I did, I did some, a lot of improv as a musician, but I mm -hmm. hadn't, hadn't been performing live for a long time. And so when I, when I started the, as I was starting the podcast, a friend of mine talked me into, into doing like an intro improv course. And it was, it was really helpful to think about, there's, there's certain aspects of it that I still think about in, in a lot of different ways. And I, I think yeah. there, there is that you know, and one of the one of the challenges I always had with with the you know at least having having kind of difficult conversations or being in a, in a situation where you're arguing for something that you feel like is important yeah. is is to you have to you you have to infuse your your opinion, which is a little bit challenging. They had this thing in in the improv course that I took where they said you have to make a declaration at some point. Like if you if you mm -hmm. don't if you don't you know declare an I need I want. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. At some point, you don't give the other person anything to play off of, and I, right. I've, I've even found it sort of helpful in my in my practice in a way that, as as practitioners, you know, we're listening to what what you know people are saying and what they what they want. But we've been doing this for a long time, and we also yeah. we want them to be successful. So yeah. that that's kind of our want. So I think there's there's something about being able to sort of speak up, you know, in a in a mm -hmm. in a difficult situation like that, and. That, mm -hmm. that we've had a little bit more practice with too, probably. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, this kind of goes, then you get a little philosophical, but I, I think there's a lot to be said for really being, um, I feel part of my role in working with the clients that I work with is to, to be, to support them in their decisions. So, Instead of imposing, there are certain things that I really feel strongly about. There's safety, there's safety measures, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Clinically, I feel like there's certain things that we need to, the information we need to have to make sure that we stay safe. Exactly. Safety measures, protocols. But there is a lot of leeway in yeah, there. Yeah. And part of the work that I'm doing with people similar to what you do is that I actually take time with them. So when we make appointments, we're not rushing through five, 10 minutes every four weeks. And we spend time with one another. 
And um, that really establishes a level of trust. And it reinforces the idea that I'm listening to you, that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm giving you some guidance, but I'm also taking in what you're saying to me. And um, that can be especially helpful for situations that might not end up exactly as everybody planned, yeah. you know? And sometimes, so, and sometimes we're just listening, you know, like we're, we're trying to gather all the information that this, this person is giving to us and all their, all their, you know, wants and desires, you know, in, in the process. But, you know, we, what, what I kind of think is like, I'm, I sort of gently guide, you know, 25,000 sessions in, like, you know, I hear people saying things sometimes that I know are not actually going to work for them in the end, but they don't have to be dealt with in, in the, in that moment. It's like, okay, they think this. So uh -huh. I have to figure out my way in to sort of like kind of get, getting that, getting them sort of a little bit more on board with the direction that I think would be beneficial to them. Sometimes uh -huh. it's, sometimes it's a safety thing. Sometimes it is about a, a health improvement, you know, in the situation and that, you know, we, that's one of those things that is like improv. We have to, we have to sort right. of like look for our opportunities, but not, not be so like dogmatic and pressing on the way that we, right. we go about things. So, so one, uh, um, a specific example of that would be when I, I love to talk about, I, I mean, I'm not a nutrition guru, but I do have a really good understanding of nutrition and nutrition and pregnancy. Yeah. So I like to do a diet recall nutrition questionnaire at their first visit, whether it's at the beginning of their pregnancy or the middle. I even had somebody recently who came to me at like 37 weeks, but I do like to go over that. And, and sometimes you learn from folks that you're working with that their diets are really not so healthy, especially for pregnancy. Right. So there you are doing that gentle suggestion or gentle guidance into, I can't just say, Gosh, your diet's really lousy. I have to say, what do you think about adding some more vegetables to your diet? You know, right. or how about let's increase the protein and decrease the sugar intake? So you know, and it's and um, it's an ongoing um, touchstone. You know, like we're gonna we're gonna visit revisit that at each visit. Not necessarily spend a lot of time. I kind of do a quick review just to make sure that they understand that there are ways of keeping themselves really healthy and helping for optimal growth yeah. of their baby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so take us through like, you know, somebody, somebody comes to see you. Um, there's, a, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of prenatal care that you're going to, you're going to do. Where do you, where do you start with somebody? Do you, do you start trying to like, if they, if they know, like, I want to have a, a midwife birth, uh, do, do you check in to see like where they're at as far as their education, if, especially for a new, a new person, right? Somebody right. first time, first time baby. Yeah. Do you, so do, that, you do you start there and, and, yeah. oh, and, and what is kind of like the protocol as far as your first appointments with them? And that I'm just kind of right. curious. So, so, so good question. And it's right on my list. So I could check Perfect. it off because I was going to say, <laughs> talk about, you know, the schedule of visits. Yeah. Um, so if somebody was coming to me early on in the pregnancy, the, <clears throat> the, the most important thing um, at the very beginning of pregnancy is to discuss what testing is recommended. Um, and so the first visit often will last at least an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. 
Usually at that visit, there will be some blood work drawn, whether it's for the non-invasive pregnancy testing or for an initial prenatal panel. Uh, and I discuss all of the reasons why these tests are available initially. I, they don't just come into my office and I say, you're going to have this, this, and this done today. I have a discussion with them. This is why we recommend this test. Are you interested, not interested? Okay, fine. This is why I recommend this test. Mm. These, these labs, these basic prenatal labs at the beginning of your pregnancy are important, but we don't have to do them at 10 weeks. We can do them at 14 weeks at the next visit, depending on how you're feeling. Um, I also recommend at least one sonogram. I have um, a certain percentage of my clientele that come from the Orthodox Jewish community here in New York, and a lot of those um, clients are not interested in doing sonograms or not interested in doing a lot of sonograms. So we talk about if we're only going to do one sonogram, this anatomy scan right around 20 weeks is what I recommend. And here are some choices of where you can go. Here's a referral for you. Let me know if you decide that you're going to go. Um, and then beyond that, I talk to them about the schedule of visits. So initially, if you start care towards the end of your first trimester, which is, let's say, between 10 and 13 weeks, um, then you can expect to come to your, you know, revisits or the future appointments every four weeks or so until you're around 28 weeks. So that's about the end of your second trimester. And then from 28 weeks to 36 weeks, we try to come every couple of weeks. And then for the very last three or four weeks, weekly. So I tell people an average number of visits is about 10 to 12, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little less. Listen, I have some clients who are, you know, it's their seventh baby. And they're, they're like, you know what, I, I can't make it in. Can we have a phone call? Yes. We, to, you know, this, this next visit, it, I don't need to draw any blood. We don't, you know, we don't need to review anything. We can have a chat on the phone. It's fine. And this is something that obviously we've all um, appreciated during the pandemic, how you begin to have the, the way we practice has shifted. And so I offer, you know, amended or, um, uh, different kinds of visits to people so they don't have to come always to my office. Yeah. And then beyond that, there isn't really a lot of testing, testing that needs to be done, especially for low risk clients, which is typically what the midwifery clientele is. You know, we have healthy, um, you know, people who don't have underlying chronic conditions, most of them. And that really um, allows you to spend more time at the visits just talking about how are you feeling, what's going on, and et cetera. The other thing that goes into the education piece is I do require that my clients take a childbirth education class, but I don't tell them who they have to take it from. I just say there are a lot of really good childbirth educators. I really... You know, I, I spend a lot of time with you, but I do not have enough time to educate you about all the ins and outs of signs of labor and laboring and birth. You need to get that additional information from, a, you know, somebody who's going to really focus on that information. 
And, and then we discuss it towards the end of the pregnancy. We're always discussing signs of labor. What do you think you want to do? What are you going to have on hand? And, you know, I can get into more of that. In, in the age of information, can, compared to like when you had your kids, does does the does the information sometimes get a little overwhelming? Are, are you having to kind of simplify and draw back and put out you know anxiety fires that sort of pop up with people? Yeah, and I I mean I don't know about all of the people that you work with or some of the people you work with, but I will say I think New York is often known for these highly functioning um, professionals, many of whom work at such a level that they're also carrying a, um, a, a certain amount of, of anxiety yeah. along with yeah. it. And so there, a lot of them are self-starters. A lot of them are doing information about everything. They're looking online for everything, not just their pregnancy or their little aches and pains. So at the beginning of the pregnancy, I say to them, you know, if it's a non-urgent question or issue, just text me or email me. I'll get back in touch with you. If it's an urgent, um, if you think it's an urgent issue, here's my phone number. You can call me any time of the day or night. However, I will get text messages and phone calls from people going, you know, my friend, this just happened to my friend, and I, I think I need another sauna right now. And I kind of have to go, okay, let's talk about this. What's going on? Is everything okay with you? Is everything okay with the baby? What happened, you know? And so I really feel like a lot of my clients diagnose their issues with Dr. Google, and I am constantly, constantly deconstructing their diagnoses yeah. you know there so so um i try to encourage folks to get in touch with me first it doesn't always happen but i do i do try to just walk them through what's ha what's actually happening right now yeah. sometimes it's an issue but a lot of times it's just something that's informing them from an outside source that has really nothing to do with them and their pregnancy is, right. is there is there any guidance that you give people on on anxiety? Because so I I you know I I work I do some pre prenatal work as well, but a lot of the a lot of the work I do with new new families and babies is is in those first you know primarily those first three months. But right. and and I and I see that stuff come up sometimes, and and you know it doesn't get better once the baby is born, generally speaking. No. <laughs> so right. is, no. is there any yeah. is, is there anything or any 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 books or any guidance that you give on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what the issue is. I feel like sometimes with some of my clients who I've gotten to know really well, the best thing is just to just be very available to talk through specific um, whatever's happening to them in that moment. For other people who have really um, heightened, generalized anxiety, I will often recommend uh, talking to somebody who specializes in perinatal mood disorders. And there are some really good practices here in New York. They've just, I would say, like in the last four or five years, really become more, um, uh, there are more practitioners. So there's not, not that they're not always busy, but I feel as if sometimes I, I'm happy to be part of the care, but sometimes it, it goes a little bit beyond what I can offer them. Yeah. 
And, because and, I might not be able to resolve those issues. Yeah, right? and for anybody listening to this, maybe that might be something to consider. If you know even going mm-hmm. into, you know, getting getting pregnant that you might have yeah. that challenge, that might be something to start working on as a resource going forward. And, and you know, f- what I would say is, too, from, from my point of view is, there are, you know, some kinds of practices that you can probably start working on, whether it's, you know, yoga, meditation, breathing practices, yeah. getting some kind of body work like I provide. Absolutely. I, yeah. I think I just see those things and just just having a general exercise or movement routine just tends to sort of like diffuse some of that energy that goes on. And, you know, I worked I used to I used to, you know, be a, a trainer and I used to train women all the way through to, you know, basically until they were ready to deliver. And it's amazing, you know, there, there is a period in the middle of, of your pregnancy that sometimes can be quite difficult. Sometimes the first trimester can be difficult if there's a lot of nausea. So it's it really depends. You have to be pretty flexible with, you know, what, what happens with your own pregnancy. And then every once in a while you get a pregnancy that's just really, you know, it's pretty easy. And I think some of it does come from the work that people do before they, you know, b- yep. before they get pregnant. And sometimes getting pregnant is, is a, is a whole, you know, exercise. I'm going to have somebody that I'm going to talk to you here for, for that on the podcast as well. Right. But, but that can also bring up stuff that, you know, might've been latent that you didn't even realize were, were sort of, a, you know, challenges for you as far as your, it could, that, that could be, you know, changing your, your mood or your anxiety too. Absolutely. So um, I, I want to just make a comment on both on t- two things that that your statement brought up. One is that I do love to talk to people about what their where they start their pregnancy, where they are in their exercise mm. routine, and I talk about modifications throughout because I do have a, a background in movement and prenatal and postpartum exercise. The, the second thing is that if they are coming with a history of um, anxiety or depression and they're on medication, they don't necessarily have to stop taking their medication just because they're pregnant. And there's a lot of really, really good data that um, allows us to monitor people's um, medication during pregnancy and um and there, it might mean that there might be a few extra sonograms done as you move into the third trimester. But in general, as long as you're in touch with your therapist and or psychiatrist um, and you're feeling, you know, that we can adjust medication dosi- dosing in pregnancy, you don't have to stop taking your medication because sometimes you have to think you know, do the benefits outweigh the risk or do the risks outweigh the benefits? So we're always looking at that kind of, um, we're evaluating with that in mind. Yeah. That's really helpful to to know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so kind of back to the, back to where you sit in the process through, through the pregnancy then and, and, and all those visits. I mean, that's, that's a lot more visits than, than a traditional, um, like, you know, as, as far as, how much how much interaction you get to have with the doctor who's going to be doing your delivery to have i mean again it's 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 it varies right. based on where you know how how many pregnancies you've had and what your relationship right. is with them but that seems right. like that seems like a pretty critical thing to to just have the support of another person who you can lean on and talk to at, at any given time especially to have your phone number i mean that's right. that's huge right. Although they're, they're, well, I, oh go ahead yeah so i think i think if you looked if you were to compare charts just to sit down and just have um, uh, one of my charts and an OB's chart. Chances are the number of visits would be equal. 
Okay. The amount of time spent would be very different. Yes. So, so they might have 12 visits with their OB for their pregnancy, but I can pretty much guarantee you that they, that, that the OB did not spend, um, half an hour, 40 minutes at every visit with them, not including the first visit. And the other part of it for me, and it varies from midwife practice to midwife practice, is I'm a solo practitioner. So you're not, it's very rare that you're going to interact with anybody else but me. Occasionally I might have another midwife cover for me, or I might have somebody do, do a little bit of office work for me. But in general, you know, when you call me, you're going to get me when you're when you need any kind of letter or form filled out. I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one who's filing your birth certificate. I'm the one who's going over your, you know, FMLA form with you. I'm writing the letter to your office or for your travel letter. It's not a whole team of people who are scheduling you or doing all the paperwork. So, um, I think that's also a big difference with a lot of practices that you're interacting with a bunch of different people in the office aside from the main provider. And when you're working with me, that you're really just dealing with me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I've I've talked about this a bit on the podcast, but, and because you and I both have our own solo practices, right? our business is built on the fact that we have success and also don't cause any harm. Right. So that would be the end of our practices. So, and, you know, whereas, whereas, you know, the, the risk falls on the institution of, of the, you know, the health clinic or whatever for anyone you work with there. Whereas for us, I think, I think we, we go a little bit above and beyond with those kinds of things, just because we do not want anything bad to happen to our businesses. Correct. And, and, and And it's, I was just thinking about it in relation to things that I've, you know, when, when I've heard people making decisions about whether or not they want to have a, a midwife birth or a traditional hospital birth, or, you know, some, some midwives work in hospitals, sometimes they do home yeah. births. Um, but, but that there's, that there might be more risk in not having, you know, a hospital uh, or, or even, mm-hmm. even just having a, not, not having a, a birth with a midwife. Whereas I think right. the, the, the real benefit to actually having a midwife's involvement is that, that the relationship becomes much stronger and right. you actually get to know a lot more about this person and, you know, leading up to the, to the delivery. Right. So, so in a way you're reducing your risk. Exactly. For a lot of things. I will say that, um, now I've been a midwife for over 20 years. I've worked in the birth field for over 30 and, um, I did work for many years in the hospital up until recently. Um, I was doing a combination of hospital birth center and home births and the pandemic really, uh, helped me shift my focus to home birth. And now I'm just doing home births. Is that right? I mean, just this, this past year, yeah, starting in January of this year, I relinquished my credentials at a local hospital and, um, right now, there really isn't a functioning birth center in New York City, although there are a couple that are hopefully going to be opening soon. Um, and so I would say in my experience, there were plenty of times in the hospital where uh, the need for intervention was really welcomed, either by the client or myself. Um, and, you know, ultimately, there are times when uh for whatever reason, this baby's not coming uh, in a normal 
low-risk way, this baby needs to come surgically, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel as if in the different settings, the different hospitals where I've worked, the good thing is when we make that decision to go for a C-section, it means that we worked really, really hard to make sure that that, that baby wasn't going to come any other way. Yeah. So when we were not jumping to that decision. And I do know OBs who practice that way too, but I think there's a lot of pressure, especially if you're working in the institution or uh, what a lot of practitioners would say, well, it, the baby's safe, the mom's safe. So that's what we decided. But, you know, did they, did they clinically allow that labor to progress to a certain point as long as mom and baby were okay? Or did they jump the gun a little bit? Right. It's hard to say because I wasn't there in whatever specific instance. But I do feel as if when you're working with a midwife, that that midwife is really, really focused on um, trying to keep everything as low risk as possible. Yeah, and and the there's a you know it, when, once you get into a hospital system, time is money. It's a it's a right. it's a bigger business. Right. You know, not to and there are plenty of people who work. I don't I don't want to like you know, right. you know say say that everybody behaves right. this way, but it, but the the tendency is just there, right? Right. And and you know, for somebody like you, you you only take you know what maybe four at max four yeah. four, four yes, babies a month, exactly. right? So. Yeah. So yeah, that, usually like two or three. Yeah, sometimes. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, not that. Not that many. And 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 then but the, I will, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, the, the, ahead. the other part of it that I was going to say is that because I treat these babies, you know, that mm-hmm. sometimes where they've they've decided to induce and kind of speed speed the process up, which sometimes is necessary, but I think from my from what I've seen, the the babies who don't get to have the process end up probably right. having more of the. I think like GI issues, kind of colicky issues, and right. also just you know from a from a nervous system perspective, like they didn't get to go through the their own process. And I think we don't we don't talk about this much. You know, we we think a lot about you know what what's going on with with the mom and the mom's safety, and we we want the baby to be safe, but we don't think about mm-hmm. that there's a that there's a whole process going on for the way a baby is is working their way out you know and that that absolutely and some and from and, you know from what i've seen like a, a fast delivery is sometimes right. is you know challenging and we don't we can't always control these things and a, and, right. a, and a, you know sometimes a, a, a delivery where they there has to be an intervention at the end like a c-section can also be challenging right. for the for the baby but usually right. the, the labors are oftentimes somewhere in between they're they're kind of they're kind of longer than we think they're going to be right and 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 this is where i also think that you know and maybe you can speak about this like those last you know couple weeks of of pre- pregnancy where yeah you know we we, we we don't we don't go in necessarily to a hospital then if we're doing a home birth you know we we have the ability to sort of be at home and laboring and laboring right. is sort of like a you know intermittent thing we you know we'll we'll, right. have, we'll start having you know some some labor contractions and then it'll kind of quiet down for a little while right. and then could right. be days we we don't, right. we don't know right and I, I mean i i appreciate that and i know that you're going to talk to Tanya as well who has this similar yeah. experience but as a, as a midwife who's practiced in different settings, I will say 
what's wonderful about focusing on home birth for me is reinforcing that idea that we don't really appreciate what the body is doing at the end of pregnancy because there is a lot of intervention in the medical model. And so I see more of that stop and start. And I see more, even with my moms who are, this is their third baby, second or third baby. You think, oh, that mom's going to go into labor. She's just going to have her baby, no problem. But no, I see people who, you know, they, they call me up on a Sunday afternoon or evening going, I think these contractions are getting stronger. I'm like, okay, great. I'm ready to go. And then I get a phone call, you know, two hours later and they're like, no, they're gone. I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens tonight or tomorrow or the next day. But um, I really, 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 I always have believed this. And um, I I think it's totally reinforced the more I do this more hands-off with the home birth clients I have, which is the baby is such a major participant in the process in the beginning of labor and how the labor progresses. I mean, certainly there are other factors, but I, I really see that dynamic between the mom and the baby when I'm working with somebody in labor. And sometimes it is just like I've got to sit on my hands, like yeah, just stop, yeah. just stay away, don't do anything, just sit and watch, sit and pay attention. And as long as mom's okay and baby's okay, they can keep going. Yeah. It's fine with me. I'm not, I'm not in any rush. I mean, that's, that's part of my um, plan. You know, that's part of my way of supporting what's happening with my clients, even though sometimes they're like, when is this baby coming? I'm like, I don't know. Are there other measures <laughs> that you take then for to help them be more comfortable through those, you know, because, because they're, they're, yeah. they're, you start to get impatient, you know, and, yeah. and probably there's some anxiety there too. It's like, yeah. okay, I just want to see this baby come into the world at this point. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it depends on the situation. There are some things that we can do to help, you know, regulate the labor or get the contractions to come more strongly, especially if mom has been laboring off and on for, for 24 hours, 48 hours. So there are some things that we can do, but if things seem to be moving along kind of at whatever that normal pace is for that person, but mom's a little anxious or, um, a, um, a little taught, you know, tired, uh, there, I mean, there are a lot of really wonderful comfort measures you can use at home. Um, a lot of clients I work with end up using some kind of a birth tub. Um, or you can, you know, be in and out of the shower, uh, changing positions, occasionally having a glass of wine and laying down if the contractions are not super strong, but they're coming, and seeing if you can get a little bit of rest. You know, and sometimes if there are few more people that need to be in the room, right, sometimes it's a matter of going, you know what, I think I'm going to go step out. Maybe I'm going to go get a sandwich down the block. And you guys seem to be doing really well. I'm here. My phone is right here. But mm -hmm. you don't need me to be sitting in this room right now. Yeah. You know, and so it really it really depends on the situation. Um and a lot of it is just that ongoing um, vocal and physical support. 
you're doing really well. This is fantastic. Your baby's doing so well. You're doing so well. And just that kind of continual support. Uh, and it might, it might be physical. It might just be, you know, emotional or vocal support. I, I think can really make a big difference. You know, we're not, yeah. we're not judging. We're not judging what's going on. Right. 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 So, 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 um, can you, can you talk to me a little bit about, um, so now that you've, now that you're kind of, sh- you shifted a little bit more to the, to doing home births or, or, or solely doing home births now compared to, did, did you work out of, uh, out of Litch before and, and the birthing I center? Did, yeah. Yes, so I, Long, Long Island I, college hospitals, it, it's yeah. no longer there, but, yeah. but, but I, I know, um, that you guys had kind of like a special relationship there, right? That was kind of a yes. rare thing for you guys to have this birth center plus medical support. Yes. Would, is, is that your, like if in a perfect world type situation, it, yeah. would, would that be something you would rather have? Or now that you're kind of in this home birth oh. situation is, 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 do you like this better? And at, at home, do you like to have more support like a doula or somebody else? So those are really good questions. And I honestly feel like I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer this, but it really could be a whole other podcast because ah, there okay. is, there, there is um, a certain model of care with what we would call community midwifery, which in other places besides New York City and in most places in the U.S., it doesn't happen. There are a few places it happens, not too many. But in Canada, in the U.K., in Hall, in the Netherlands, in parts of France, in Australia, New Zealand, the model of care is the midwives are present for a lot more births, including being able to seamlessly move from hospital to home or home to hospital or birth center to hospital. And what it, what it means is that everybody is on board to support that particular client where she is in her journey mm-hmm. of pregnancy and birth. So if something happens, if something crops up during her pregnancy, even though she planned on having a whole birth, but something happens where she might need a higher level of um, care, meaning a little bit more of um, a focus on her, whether it's medication for her for the rest of her pregnancy or more uh closely monitoring the developing baby. It's nice to know that the midwives can continue. There's a continuity of care for somebody who ends up in the hospital, right? right? So we're not, sadly here right now, the way the model of care is, is if somebody needs to go to the hospital, I have to hand them over to a different practitioner or a different, you know, staff at a hospital, or if it's before they go into um, labor, but something's happened and I can't safely del- deliver them at home, then I have to hand them off to a different practice. And that, I mean, I'm okay about doing that, but ideally I loved working as a hospital-based midwife 
who would make decisions also to deliver in a birth center or home. And then if I had to transfer, I could transfer with those clients and continue taking care of them. Right. Especially in like yeah, a high, a high risk situation, right? Or when, yeah. when, when, when you know there's, would you, would, would you be more likely to, 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 you know, like, are, are there people that come to you that seem too high risk to, to work with you at this point? Would, and, and, but with a birth center or hospital access, would you consider, you know, maybe taking them whereas you wouldn't now, you know, just doing home births? Right. So yes, the, the answer to that is yes. Okay. And, and I have in the past. And, and um, you know, though that's the one subset of my clientele that I feel that I felt a little sad about when I made mm. the decision to go to home birth because I knew there was a group of people that I worked well with in the hospital and that I supported them, say, with their first VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, that yeah. I'm yeah. not going to do in a home setting. Um, so, so yeah, that, yeah, sadly, that's, yeah, not our model of care. I wish it were. It would be our, our the overall health of uh, laboring women at, or, and, laboring people and their families would be a lot better in the U.S. if we had that model of care. Right. And that's and that's part of the reason I like to have these conversations is that, yeah. you know, speaking to somebody who's expert and has seen so much, this, you know, we I, I think I, you know, and I know hospitals struggle financially. I mean, this is part of the reason why some of these things don't exist in the U.S., in the, the in the way that they're funded compared to they are the way they are in other countries. Right. We, if I had a you right. know, conversation with somebody in in Germany or Holland or something, it might be a very different kind of conversation. So, right, yeah, right, yeah. And and then so um, so, so in in terms of like yeah. postpartum care too, like this is another piece of this, right? Yes. That, that you get to be that you get to be much more in, involved with. Yes, postpartum to me is a really amazing time and I feel really privileged to have aside from my own personal experience where it was a real shock 34 years ago mm -hmm. to have breastfeeding issues with a brand new baby no family around you know brand, brand new parents completely exhausted once I got into doula work and focused on postpartum um, doula work for the first three or four years that I was in practice, I recognized how important it was to normalize people's experiences around this time when you're, what I used to say to my ladies, just like you're oozing from every pore. Day three, you're you know, you're bleeding, you're crying, you're sweating, you're leaking, yeah. breast milk, you know, like you have no, your body is just this, it, it's just amazing what's happening, but it's, it's freaky because you've never experienced it before. And from a psycho-emotional perspective, we're, we're going through such a major transition at the same time. Oh my gosh. And nobody around, I mean, unless you're really, really lucky and you have people who really, honor that period for what it really is. Instead, I can remember, I have this story I tell clients of mine when I tell them, you know, when they're preparing for their postpartum time, I said, people cannot come to visit you. You know, if they do, they have to drop food off or run an errand for you. And that's it. And then I give them this sample. One of the, one of the doulas that I worked with in my practice 
um, who ended up becoming a lactation consultant. She was postpartum. Her husband was a professional musician. He came in for the birth and then went back out on tour, like mm, yeah. day three, day four, something like that. And one of their friends came over to visit. And instead of like bringing food and it, she was sitting there with this brand new three or four day old baby. And the guy was like, what's for lunch? And she sat there and she didn't know what to do. Like her partner wasn't there. This guy was like talking about, you know, whatever he was doing and, oh, let's make some lunch and let's chat. And, you know, and I said, you can't, you can't have people like that come over. That's not fair. That's not fair to the new mom who's learning how to breastfeed. She needs to lay down. And very depleted. I mean, think about how much oh my energy it takes to that last that last trimester and the whole pregnancy, oh actually, and, then the, and yeah. then the delivery. Right. So I talk a lot about it with my clients, especially my first-time parents, about um, making sure that when you're cooking, you make double batches and you throw something in the mm-hmm. freezer that... Um, anybody who's planning to come to visit, whether it's family from out of state, um, that unless there's room for them in the apartment, which is rare in New York, that they set aside time when they're going to come and they're going to help, but they're not going to stay there and like talk to you and want to hold the baby while the mom's trying to learn how to breastfeed. The mom needs to lay down when the baby's sleeping. Mom needs to lay down. You know, so that kind of schedule up and down and up and down and making sure that you're eating and drinking and you, you know, when are you going to take a shower and when am I, when is my body going to be my own? All of that is, um, it, it needs the other part of this when I was getting ready to talk to you about this is one of the things that I do with my clients is that I, I, Typically, now that I'm doing home birth, I typically go in at least twice in the first week okay. to go see them and check on mom and check on the baby and just get a sense of what's going on. But also, um, I repeat on almost a daily basis, lay down when the baby's sleeping, you know, talk about the breastfeeding after breastfeeding and poops and peas what are you eating? What are you drinking? Lay down, lay down, lay down, you know, and I have to repeat it because how much chain of this and also just to be the part or be one of the people who's acknowledging that what you're experiencing is normal and that you can call me any time of the day or night. And sometimes I get those phone calls with the baby screaming in the background at 3 a.m., the baby won't go to sleep. I'm like, it's okay. It's day three. The baby's helping you. They'll come in. Hand the baby off. Go sit in the toilet. <laughs> go turn the shower on. Cry for a few minutes and then come back out. Yeah. You I know, mean, it's okay. It's it's important. I, I do a lot of this, the kind of giving giving new parents schedules. And I, I like you, I feel I feel sort of blessed to be able to be, you know, involved in their lives at this point. Right. And and you know, most of the time people aren't coming to see me unless the baby's having some sort of struggle, right? So right. I'm often dealing with with new parents who are, you know, 
anxious, exhausted, you know, just everything. And so, right. you know, sometimes they've also been working with, you know, some other people, you know, right. obviously they've, they've, if there is a GI issue, they've probably been, you know, to some specialists, they've been working with a lactation consultant and some other people. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm also there just to sort of like give comfort to the baby and, and help the baby kind of settle too, because now we yeah. have this, this whole dynamic that's going on with, with the, the family. And sometimes, and I just, this just happened when I was in New York last time, this, yeah. this, this couple had a kind of, you know, a, a baby that was definitely having a very, you know, intense startle reflex to just about everything, which kind of gave the lactation consultant the sense that like, you know, there is, there are some, you know, some digestive issues going on, but there's also just a lot of like, there's sensory. there's a lot of tension and a lot of sensory yeah. stuff going on. So yeah. the the parents got to got to see the baby just sort of like completely relaxed. And mm-hmm. and the dad even said to me, like, the baby being relaxed makes me feel relaxed. Like yeah. right. <laughs> which is what right. I, I see happening, but for the for the dad to actually acknowledge that was like right. pretty pretty huge. But that is right. you know, part of the process sometimes is to have yes. to have that, you know, figure out what that support is. And right. you know, this baby was like two months old. So it's you know, sometimes it takes it takes a while to finally get to, you know, get through a few different things. I usually tell people like if I'm working with them through their pregnancy that, you know, give them, give themselves at least like, you know, two or three weeks before if they know they want to bring the baby to see me just for a little, you know, something. Right. if I could be in the hospital, I would love to treat the baby right after yeah. delivery. But, right. you know, I, I actually think, you know, sometimes my place should be kind of a, a little bit further out. Like I think, right. you know, j- j- well, just as, just as a little support and also kind of deal with some of the stuff that happens. Cause you know, it's a, it's a stressful thing for a baby to come into the world too. So I'm, I'm right. thinking really focusing on them and then, then starting to give the parents some resource about like this is what the next few you know weeks are probably going to look right. like or at post treatment this is this is what you know I want to get me this is the feedback I want to get back from you that kind of stuff right so there are a couple of things that I tell people when I'm teaching them in the first few days postpartum I I give them this frame this framework I say I'm going to talk about babies breastfeeding behavior and everything that means in a 24-hour period, we're always looking at 24 hours. And I want you to see, I'm going to say 24 hours in four weeks. Four weeks is about the amount of time it usually takes for a baby to sort of settle in to becoming a good breastfeeder, especially with a first-time yeah. first time period. The other important thing about that while you're teaching them and supporting them is to recognize as um, experienced provider when to step back because if there are too many voices professional voices giving conflicting information totally as much as i would like to say you know if you stick with what i'm telling you that baby's going to be fine but sometimes i have to step back and say look the pediatrician or the lactation consultant is giving you certain information and i'm not going to be i do not want to add to your tension because what I'm saying might be conflicting advice. So sometimes I'll tell people, let's just listen to one voice about this issue. If it's lactation consultant or the pediatrician or whatever, even if I personally am not in agreement with that, it's okay because I know that in general, I want that level of anxiety to be reduced. So you can see a baby relax after three weeks or, you know, 
do a really good feeding after two and a half weeks of struggling, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. And and we tend to, because we we've seen enough of this, we, we sort of see the trends, like we can sort of tell when a a baby might've been struggling with something and you can sort of see that they're on the, that that they're, you know, in, in kind of an, in a positive trend. Right. And, and and I think the, 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 you know, sometimes the parents also just need to hear that they're doing a good job and that, and that, you know, things, things are, are, are definitely improved, you know, from where, where we were. Cause that's also hard to yeah. track day to day when you, when they're in it, we see it a little more intermittently right. so we can see the changes. And, and then, and then I think that that's, that's also sort of helpful for them to sort of hear from somebody else that like, they're actually doing well. Cause most, most parents, you know, first time parents, especially are, you know, they're just, they, they, they think, and it's a scary thing, you know, they, they let you take this baby home or, right. or, or you're at home and the midwife leaves. Right. And so you're, you're having to deal with everything. <laughs> so. Where, where's the instruction manual? Right. Well, sometimes I, you know, well, I'll get on the phone with other midwife friends, colleagues, and we're like grumbling about the, that this lactation consultant, you know, recommended this or that pediatrician said this, but, but, you know, we're allowed to kind of be a sounding board to each other. But then when we get back to our clients, we're like, oh yeah, the baby's doing so much better than whatever. I saw the baby three days ago, four days ago or whatever. And um, I think what you said, being positive and supportive can go a long way because they're not, there are a lot of people who are not necessarily doing that for the new parents. Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of um, criticism. There could be, um, you know, judgment from family and friends around what's happening. Well, I didn't, I didn't feed my baby that way. My babies are all fine. You know, my babies. So, so it sometimes it's really hard what the parents are the choices they're making, especially in a home birth, um, because the people around them have never seen this before. Yeah. So so yeah, you have to um, try to stay really calm and be very supportive. And and, and even though we might not we might not want to you know, interject too much because that we already know that there are a lot of people, a lot of cooks in the kitchen to, so to speak. Right. It's, it's, it's also important to, from the other side of that, to, to know that as a, as a parent going through it, just to know that you have this team around you where you might say right. like, I don't know if what this person says makes sense. I want to bounce this off of another person. What, what do right. you think? Because, and, and you might find that actually both those people feel the same way, but right. if, if you're, if you're still struggling to figure out what, what makes sense for yourself, because you're not an expert as a parent, then, right. then, 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 right. you, then you have extra resource. And I, I, that, I love being part of that process. And most of the time, I mean, I'd say just because of the network that I work with, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're so experienced that, you know, 99 point something percent of the time, I'm in complete agreement of what yeah. everybody has to say. Yeah. Um, there, there also is a point, and this has to do with maybe the, going back to the decision to look for a midwife in the first place. But there also comes a point where you look at the parents and you go, well, what do you think about this yes. particular issue? 
what is your gut saying to you? Yeah. Do you feel okay about it? Are you conflicted about it? Are you anxious about it? Does it not feel good to you? Because, so, you know, I say to them, nobody's going to be there at three in the morning when you're trying to figure out what's going on with this little baby. You guys have got to make a decision that works for you. I say that And a it lot. might not be exactly what I would recommend, but, you know, what's going to work for you and your family that is really important, um, you know, so so that, you know, that goes back to the whole idea of just trying to be really support. You're giving them guidance, but you're also just going, OK, guys, you know, you you've got to take over at some point. <laughs> yeah. This you're, these this little one's parents and that little one's going to teach you how to be parents. And you're going to teach that little one how to be part of your unique family, too. That's, right. and, and, and that's the other handoff that I think is really interesting that happens is that at, at, the, at a certain point, you know, we're, we're sort of handing it off to say that, you know, as a parent, this is your instinct, you know, but we're also right. a lot of times, at least this is the way I kind of work, is I'm also saying like, this is the moment at which you start, you know, putting some of the responsibility on, on, on the baby to sort of, you know, like for, for me, I, I try to get parents to th start thinking about things that they can do that so they don't have to manage every aspect of what's going on with the baby, like right. dealing with gas, like starting to do tummy time right. earlier than they think they, you know, right. and, and starting to give, give them some things to say, like the, 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 this is, these are the, these are the needs of the, of the baby actually. And, and, right. and, and starting to hand that over, this is the beginning of parenting, right? It's, it's right. like ha having them, having them start to learn how to self-soothe and self-manage certain kinds right. of things and, right. and being there as, as support as needed, but, but starting to kind of move through that and and that is kind of where we start to step out i think right right and i always tell people when they come to me early on when they make the decision to work with me as a midwife i said you know you're making parenting decisions already oh, totally just yeah by by choosing how you're planning on delivering you know going into labor and delivering your baby yeah so you know you will continue to make lots of different kinds of decisions around parenting and your family, but already you're making decisions even before the baby's out in the world, yep. you know? And, and we're not going to be perfect as parents. No, no. <laughs> that's the other, my that's the other part. My kids would tell you that. <laughs> and and I, that's, that's, it is something I also sort of mention sometimes to new parents, like, you know, your 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 goal is just it's sort of like um, you know those 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 things at the bowling alley those little gutter guards that oh, come up it's like your your goal is yeah. to basically kind of keep them in the lane, right? <laughs> you right, know, right, so right. that they so that they don't fall into the gutters. But they 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 have to they have to start you know uh, this process of self development, and mm -hmm. then you know it's sometimes we make them the the mistakes that we make are in the way that we guide most of the time as as yeah. as the problem process goes along. But also I tell parents like you you have to give your you have to cut your slack there's this is a yeah. first time experience for you i we've yeah. all anybody who's had kids has gone through this and and kids oh, yeah. uh, kids are you know if you say if you say something you know poorly or you you realize you made a mistake in, in the way you, you did something just just apologize kids are very forgiving with these kinds of things as they yeah. get older so i have i have a really dear dear friend of mine who is a social worker a therapist and she her focus is on resiliency and so she's worked with all different kinds of groups, especially, um, you know, kids who are refugees and teachers who have working with kids who have a lot of emotional issues or 
uh, physical issues. And, you know, she's always talking about how you teach people to appreciate resiliency and help kids learn how to become more resilient. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what kids can do, you know. So even when they're really, really young, I always when I'm handing a baby over and the dad is like, oh, and I'm like, no, that kid. You can you can really hold that kid. That kid yeah. that kid just it's a full term baby. That's a nice healthy baby. That baby's stronger than you think. You yeah. know, so and, and one of the things that I've I've kind of learned just because I treat all ages, is that I I really address babies as fully developed, fully intelligent beings, you know, and, 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 and babies know, you know, like yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't fake a baby out. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I think the, the, it's another one of those pieces that I like to kind of give to people is to, is to really think about like, uh, you know, think about this relationship you, that you have right now. It's, it's, it's yeah. immediate, it's present and, and start, you know, start addressing them as, you know, uh, just, just somebody that you love and respect right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yep. that, and that, that takes yep. you that takes you a long way, I feel like. Yep, it definitely does. Yeah, I, I mean I'm always I feel so honored when I'm holding a brand new baby, you know, and looking at that baby and the baby's looking at me and I'm like, you know, welcome, welcome. Mm-hmm. And it you know, you just see all these amazing human beings just right there. You get to you're one of the first people who get to gets to meet them. And I, you know, that's it's kind of great that I found this, this profession that allows me to have that, those experiences. That kind of like, <laughs> that kind of endorphin buzz that you must get like yes. regularly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not too often because it means that I'm You're, not getting a lot of sleep. Right. But. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. A few times a month, it's great. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so where, so you're, so for anyone listening, you're in, you're in New York city, for anyone's interested right. in, in your services, how, how, how could they get in right. contact with you? So, um, I have a website, um, that is going to be, uh, updated, but you can still get basic information. It's city midwifery and yeah. it's C I T Y M I D W I F E R Y N Y.com. Um, also, um, I'm okay with you sharing my email um, okay. with people if you'd like. I I, I get a lot of uh, um, inquiries through email, and that that's fine. And um, yeah, I mean I'm 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 here and in Brooklyn, but I go to all all boroughs. Although getting to the Bronx for a second or third time baby could be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. But, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, Staten Island, even even uh, like Nassau County, like the border in Nassau County, uh, Long Island. I've done births out there as okay. well. And and, yeah. and we'll have we'll have all your links here on the sh- on the show notes mm-hmm. and below on the on the YouTube channel. Um, but we have we have a guest page on Highway Two Health which is our website. Right. And so you'll have your own guest page on there with all your information. So, and you're right. welcome to, Fantastic. and you're welcome to kind of throw up any information you want on there. If there's any, like, you know, Once re- I update resource. my website, I'll, I'll put that up. That'll be up there too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you. Right. Long time, thank a long so time much. in the making. I'm glad we got to finally do this yeah, together. Yeah, me too. It's great. Um, thank you so much. Chris McCloskey, folks. 
You've probably heard the phrase, it takes a village a number of times. And if you're in the birth and baby community, you probably hear it weekly. And there's a good reason for it. Delivering and raising a child requires guidance, and we need to be willing to ask for help with it. As much as we can prepare, it's an experience like no other. And in my 17 years of working with families and raising two of my own, I can tell you that the sooner that you learn to ask for help, the better, especially from people who have experience. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach me anytime at jeremy at highway2.health. And tune in to, to our next episode for a conversation I have with Tanya Zerulnik, another friend and colleague in New York and midwife, about her work with some unique insights from her career uh, coming from Peru and with special populations she works with in New York. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.